Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Thursday the 14th of May. My name's Tom Tilley. Today on the show, one of the senior people advising the government on their response to COVID-19 will be here answering your questions, the Deputy Chief Medical Officer. Right now, I'm joined by Jan Fran, who's started easing her own lockdown restrictions. Jan, you walked in a park yesterday. (laughs) You know, when you say it like that, Tom, I sound far less exciting than what I actually am, IRL. Um, I did. I went for a very long walk in a park, which for me is huge because I've spent quite a lot of time indoors. So just to be on grass, <laughs> you're looking at me like, yes, you are very boring. I've known her, this Her chat you. is a lot more exciting than her life. <laughs> at the moment. Just at the moment. At the moment. But, yeah. you know, give me a couple of weeks or a couple of years, potentially. Well, this first story could open up things for a lot of people. Yeah, it was looking like the NT was set to be the only place that you could get a beer at a pub Mm. this Friday. But it does look like a bunch of other states will follow suit. Yeah, the rest of Australia was looking very jealously at those stories coming Mm -hmm. out of the NT that you could go for a beer. So huge. So almost two months after the lockdown started, New South Wales and the ACT will now allow 10 of us into a pub at the same time. As long as you sit down for a meal, though... I don't think that'll be so hard because people will be stinging for a schnitzel. So ordering a beer as well, it's it's all looking pretty good. Um, it's the same in Brisbane, although the cap for the rest of Queensland, regional Queensland, is 20. Yeah, there are a couple of other changes um, for other states too. So this is from Monday. Uh, WA moves to stage two, upping the number allowed in from 10 to 20 people at a time. Huge. So that, that is huge news. Uh, while in Tassie, again, from Monday, pubs and restaurants will be open but for 10 customers. Yeah, not quite as exciting um, the news for Victoria and South Australia. No changes announced for them just yet in that space. No. Now, remember uh, the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, he had that massive sort of coughing fit. (coughs) (coughs) Like you've got some water. Yes. Now, he said he was going to get tested for coronavirus, and I think we'd all be pleased to know that the test has come back negative. Yes, given he was spending a lot of time with the Prime Minister, that was looking like a bit of a bad scene. Yeah. The Queensland government could be Virgin Australia's new owner. Yeah, the Trouble Airline went into voluntary administration last month, putting 16,000 jobs on the line. Now, most of them are based in Queensland with Virgin's head office. UNSW airport economist Tim Harcourt reckons that it could be a smart move for the Queensland government. You could have had Qantas as a monopoly in Australia or you would have had more foreign ownership or you could have had the case with Trans-Tasman bubble, as they've been talking about it, of Air New Zealand coming in and taking Virgin's place. So I think Queensland are thinking they'd rather keep the jobs in Brisbane and regional Queensland than the jobs going to Auckland or Singapore or somewhere else. Yeah, but given the company was struggling financially before the coronavirus, is it really a good investment? Just putting that out there. Um, The state treasurer in Queensland, Cameron Dick, says they saw the punishing increase in the cost of flights after ANSET collapse and that two national airlines are crucial to Australia's economy. Administrator Deloitte wants the sale to be wrapped up by next month. A lot of ambition there. And clearly um, Peter Dutton, Home Affairs Minister, doesn't think this is a good idea. Um, He said on Twitter that the Queensland Premier had almost bankrupted the state and now in the middle of a crisis they want to buy an airline. It's laughable. She leads a government which is corrupt and chaotic. Yeah, but the state treasurer did reply to that saying, look, mate, Just stick to cruise ships. (laughs) Oh, that's a bird. And a blow for AFL fans hoping for a June 11 season return. Uh, South Australia is refusing to waive its two-week quarantine rules for clubs. 
Yeah, South Australian health officials don't want different standards for the league and the rest of South Australia, and they say the benefits are outweighed by the public risk to health of winding back that two-week quarantine rule. Yeah, this basically means that the Crows and Power would look potentially have to relocate interstate for the season, um, which is something that West Coast and Fremantle are currently considering as well because of the strict rules over in WA. But there's look no guarantee that they will or will want to do that, actually. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty um, strong move by the South Australian government. Like, their citizens would be would be crying out for the AFL to get started, and I guess it will just be the, the teams that pay the price. But so much has been changing in the last few weeks. So many of the lockdown measures have been wound back. The season's not starting till next month, June 11. Mm. You'd have to think that measure might be gone by then. Yeah, look, potentially. I guess the other question is, should the AFL get special treatment when the rest of the state has to put up with a two-week quarantine for people coming in and out, you know? But should the rest of the state still be putting up with it? That's the the question I'm asking. Anyway, mm. if you're listening, South Australian Premier, it's a, it's a strong call. We respect it. Um, but look, there is better news for NRL lovers, though, because they are still on track to resume at the end of the month, May 28, albeit uh, playing to much smaller crowds, if any. And the boss of the Peak Body for Travel Agents has resigned after these comments about a current affair host, Tracy Grimshaw. I've personally boycotted it. I won't be ever watching it again. I think that Tracy Grimshaw needs to be given a firm uppercut or a good slap across the face. Uh, And I mean that virtually, of course. I wouldn't want to invoke any violence on anyone. Oh, yeah. That was Jason Westbury. He's a CEO of the Australian Federation of Travel Agents. Um, He's had to resign from his job for that that statement. Um, He made them to a group of about 100 people on a webinar while slamming a current affair for segments about angry customers demanding refunds for cancelled trips. Yeah, he actually went on the show last night. Uh, That interview had been booked before the comments came out. Uh, He said that he apologises unreservedly and that it was a very bad choice of words. This was Tracy's response to that. Instead, he chose to shoot the messenger in a disturbing personal attack on me. Jason Westbury's language was appalling. And he's paid the price for it. Yeah, it's a, it's a real, that's a never say, I reckon. He, he tried to backtrack on it and sort of, I guess, insinuate it was just a, a manner of speaking. Yeah. But I don't know how you give someone a virtual slap on the face or why that, <laughs> why that is even a In thing. In a webinar. <laughs> In a webinar. Um, yeah, some happiness for Powderfinger fans. They're reuniting for the first concert in a decade mm. next Saturday. It is a, a one-off concert. It's dubbed One Night Only and it's happening... One on- Night Lonely. One Night Lonely. I'm sorry. I totally, Get a joke? I totally misread that. Well, One Night Lonely is much funnier than One Night Only. Uh, it's happening on the band's YouTube channel to raise cash for Beyond Blue and Support Act. Uh, that's a charity that supports struggling artists and musicians. Um, this is going to make some older millennials and some Gen Xs very, <laughs> very happy. Uh, the music blogs are actually speculating about this last week because Powderfinger had updated their profile pic on Facebook, which... Yeah you know, is a very older millennial Gen X thing to do when you're about to do something big and fun, isn't it? It's like, whoops, That was that part of the social media strategy? Were they trying to sort of like, you know, breadcrumb Powderfinger fans? Yeah, exactly. I think there would have been a lot of people 
wondering what Powderfinger is going to do in the next year or two because um, big festival lineups like Splendor um, and the Falls Festival and you know a whole bunch of other Australian festivals are going to have all Australian artists and they won't be able to fill those bills, especially some of those big headline slots um, with just sort of acts that have been currently touring. They're going to have to dig deep for some of Australia's big retro acts as well that are yeah. coming back. Yeah, bring back Frente, I say. Frente, accidentally <laughs> Cali Street. <laughs> I don't know if, any, if anyone out there remembers Frente, but bring them back. All right, thank you, Jan. I'll catch you tomorrow for Friday's episode of The Briefing. See you soon. Joining me right now is Jamila Rizvi. And Jamila, it's been really interesting during COVID-19 to see experts really come to the forefront of our public debate and public messaging. I think that's been a good thing. I completely agree with you, Tom. For the last five years in particular, I think a lot of news shows and a lot of our media have put up commentators in the place of experts. And it's nice to see the people who've done the work, the ones who've done the research being the voices that we're now turning to. Yeah, people like Chief Medical Officer Brendan Murphy, who's been standing there with the Health Minister and the Prime Minister for so many of those press conferences. Um, it's a real contrast to, say, the climate change debate or, you know, the, the real scepticism of experts that we've seen in America with the rise of Donald Trump. The good news is right now we've actually got one of Brendan Murphy's deputies, the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Professor Michael Kidd, joining us here on The Briefing to answer a whole bunch of curly questions from us, um, but also from you, our our listeners. Um, So let's jump into it. Professor Michael Kidd, thank you for joining us. Um, We're now at a stage where we're winding back our lockdown measures uh, and we're being told that that includes increased risks of new outbreaks and that's going to happen. Is there a number where... If we get back to that level, say 100 new cases a day or something like that, where you'd see the, the lockdown measures brought back in? So there is, there is no magic number. What happens is we have a process in Australia with the AHPPC, the advisory committee to the National Cabinet, which meets every day. And this is the chief medical officer and his deputies meeting with the chief health officers of each of the states and territories across the country and reviewing what is happening right across the country and providing that advice to the National Cabinet. So we're not going to be surprised to suddenly have a very large number of cases uh, occurring uh, in Australia. If there is any increase, that will happen uh, progressively over time. And we've put in place the mechanisms to prevent the so-called second wave from occurring in Australia with the increased testing capacity, with the contact tracing uh, and the increased capacity for our states and territories to follow up with anyone who's been in contact with someone who's been diagnosed with COVID-19. And of course, the COVID Safe app is one way of helping our contact tracers to do their work. And also having the capacity to move in very quickly when we do get outbreaks, and we do expect we will continue to get outbreaks uh, over the coming uh, weeks and probably months. And uh, when they do occur, we move in very quickly and we isolate and quarantine people. We do testing and we test contacts as well. Professor Kidd, is the easing of restrictions partly about people's willingness to abide by them starting to wane? And I think, I think what I'm asking is, is it better to manage people's reintroduction into the community than let them take matters into their own hands because they're kind of fed up with the social isolation? How do you manage the human psychology of this? Well, certainly we know that, that being in extended periods of isolation can have a significant impact on the mental health and well-being of many people. And of course, also, the longer that we are in uh, 
in lockdown with severe restrictions, the greater impact that has on the nation's economy and also on the livelihoods of, of many, many people across the country. And so the decision has been made to move to this first small step of easing some restrictions. Uh, but at the same time, People have to take this incredibly seriously. This is not the time to become complacent. People have to continue to adhere to the measures which they've been adhering to, including the hand hygiene, the cough and sneeze, etiquette, maintaining the physical distancing of 1.5 metres when out uh, and about. And most importantly, if you develop fever or any symptoms of a respiratory tract infection, stay at home contact your GP, arrange to get tested and uh, and arrange to exclude uh, COVID-19 as the cause. Michael, we've got a few questions from some of our listeners. This one comes from Ricky um, about the flu shot. Why are we being encouraged to get it when it doesn't combat COVID-19? So it's a, it's a very uh, good question and, and a very important answer. So influenza uh, is a, a serious infectious uh, disease. It kills uh, many hundreds of people in Australia each year and it is preventable through the vaccine. And, uh, and so rather than have two very serious infectious diseases out there, and of course influenza uh, makes its peak during the, the winter months, uh, we can actually prevent uh, influenza from occurring by having the majority of people in Australia get vaccinated. If we can prevent an outbreak of influenza, then we have less pressure on our hospitals, on our intensive care units, on our ventilators. So please, if you haven't yet had your influenza vaccination or members of your family haven't yet been vaccinated, please arrange to do that today. We went on a very exciting family outing to the GP to get our flu shots a couple of weeks ago. It's the only outing we've done <laughs> in a couple of months. Professor Kidd, James has asked if there is a risk of the virus becoming resistant to hand sanitizer or disinfectants given we're using them at such high levels. Yes, so uh, we're still learning a lot about this virus. We've only shared our planet with this virus for a few months. And so uh, the amount that we've learned about it in a very short period of time is just extraordinary. But there's still a lot more that we need to know. And what we, one of the things we don't yet understand is whether this virus uh, can mutate, whether it can become uh, resistant, uh, whether uh, if that happened, that a um, person who'd been uh, exposed and infected uh, with one strain could potentially be infected with another strain. These are all questions we don't yet have the answers to. What we do know, however, is that this virus and the family of viruses that it belongs to are very easily destroyed uh, using uh, hand washing with uh, soap and water or using hand sanitizer, which has the appropriate levels of ethanol, of alcohol to denature the virus. So it's highly unlikely that uh, that we'll get resistance to the sanitizers and the things that we're using for our hand hygiene. So please continue to wash your hands. I think we are washing our hands like never before uh, in Australia. We've, we've learned how to wash our hands properly and these are really good habits and they're going to protect us in the future from other viral illnesses as well. So please keep washing your hands, keep using the hand sanitizer. Please don't worry about uh, any possible issues with resistance. Professor Kidd, Kishi has asked about travel plans for the future. It feels like it's going to be a very long way away for us to be able to go to Europe or the States again. Is there any sense of when we might be able to travel further afield than Australia or New Zealand? 
Yes, so again, that's that's one of those areas of, of speculation, and and what what will happen uh, when is uh, is unknown. Uh, this is this is a really challenging time for uh, people who may have uh, family and dear friends and loved ones in other parts of the world and not able to uh, come together uh, at this time. Australians are not allowed to travel outside of uh, Australia at this time. We may see. Uh, the uh, relaxation of the border uh, with New Zealand, but uh, there's no time frame for that occurring uh, at the moment. So I think people need to bunker down at uh, at home uh, in Australia and uh, and really be grateful that we are in Australia at this time. Michael, this week, um, new research has been um, commissioned into the Kawasaki disease. Um, now, I understand that's a, a respiratory problem that affects children that may be linked to COVID-19. So, so, so what is it and how concerned should we be about it? Yes, so Kawasaki disease is an inflammatory condition which occurs uh, in children. Uh, there's uh, still a lot which is unknown about the actual disease. In some children, it appears to be linked to a previous viral illness. Uh, in other children, there doesn't seem to be that link. And we have a national register of uh, children who have experienced Kawasaki disease. If we did start to see any increase in the numbers of children uh, with Kawasaki disease in Australia, that would become apparent uh, very quickly. We have had no uh, cases linked to COVID-19 and that's not surprising because the number of people and especially the number of children with COVID-19 in Australia has been so very low. Professor Kidd, are we likely to see more of these novel viruses in the future? Um, this is the most uh, serious uh, outbreak of a serious infectious disease that, uh, that the world has seen over the last 100 years. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's a really important wake-up call uh, for the global community uh, and uh, looking at uh, the ways in which these viruses, which tend to be uh, viruses which come from animals and then find their way into human hosts, we need to look at ways of preventing uh, that from happening. We also need to look at uh, ways of ensuring that right around the world we have surveillance mechanisms in place so that when new diseases do occur, and it is likely that new diseases will continue to occur as we continue to change the way we live, as our environment changes, human migration continues, we need to have ways of picking up these new viruses very, very quickly and acting very swiftly. Professor Michael Kidd, it's been great to have you on the briefing, getting a, a chance to ask you so many of these curly questions. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks, Jamila. It's been great talking with you. Tom, I've been really pleased, I suppose, during this crisis when we're all so scared and anxious and worried about what's going to happen, how available the chief medical officers in all of the states and territories and their many deputies have been to come and answer our questions, not just for a minute or two, yeah. but in a really exhaustive way. They really have. I think you're right. That has helped calm people's anxiety to hear these sound, calm, well-researched voices constantly in the media, including this podcast, and delivering such detail on such a broad range of questions that they have and, and doing it in a way that doesn't make people feel stupid for, for asking simple questions. It's absolutely making me feel a whole lot safer than I did, say, 
eight or even 10 weeks ago. And I think here in Australia, everyone is feeling enormously lucky to have such an amazing healthcare system, but also these professionals and experts to rely on when it comes to communicating the advice we need to hear. Yep, we're back in love with our scientists, which is a good thing. Make science cool again, Tom. Yeah, we've tried to do that today. All right, thanks, Jamila. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we look at insufferable socials. Have you muted someone on social media during the coronavirus? That's tomorrow's show. Subscribe at the Podcast One Australia app or wherever you normally get your podcasts and stay in touch on Instagram at The Briefing Podcast. Catch you tomorrow. A Podcast One production.